So I don't know about you or, or your friends. I have some friends who, they're just really hard to follow. Um, and I mean like driving down the road. And so I don't know if you have that friend where it's like it's a yellow light and they speed up. And you get stuck out the red light and you're just like, all right, I don't know what to do now. Or I, I had a friend when we first moved to Dallas, had no idea where I was going. Uh, and I'd follow him. And we're just cruising down the highway, and without any warning, he would just dart across like two lanes of traffic and exit. And I couldn't get over. And so there I am, just lost. And the point is, it's not always easy to follow, and it's really not easy to follow when the person you're following is reckless or careless, right? And sometimes God appears to be a little reckless and a little careless when he's leading us. I could quote author after author, theologian after theologian who would say the number one cause or excuse or reason for people abandoning God in their faith is suffering. It's people like me and you who come and we pray and we give and we sing, we're in Bible studies and then one day we wake up and we're like, what are you doing, God? This isn't fair. I didn't sign on for this. And then we're out the door. So this morning, we're actually going to see, uh, out of Exodus, God lead his newly redeemed people out of Egypt, and we're going to see him lead them to a place where they don't want to go. And we're going to ask two questions. First, why does God appear to lead recklessly at times? And then the second question is how? How do I follow him when he's doing this, or when he's appearing to be kind of a reckless, careless leader? So if you haven't turned there already, Exodus uh, 13, verse 7. And the word Exodus is a Greek compound word. I don't know why it's Greek, because it's a Hebrew book. But anyway, it's Greek. And uh, it means out in way. Ekhodos, outway. It's the outway, or the way out. And that's where we're at this morning. We see that God, through Moses, is leading his people out of Egypt. He's just done the ten plagues that most of us are familiar with. And they're on their way out. But immediately in our story, there's some tension. Verse 17, now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up and marshaled away from the land of Egypt. So right away, there's tension Because this is the way out, but there's two ways out. Two ways. There's the quick way, the fast way, the direct way, the interstate, the way we would want to go to the destination that we have planned, the land of the Philistine, the the land that's promised. But God chooses to lead his people a different way. He chooses to lead them the way of the wilderness, the desert, the unknown, the scary, the, the dangerous, the everything bad. And Not only is it the way of the wilderness, look where it leads. It leads to the Red Sea. That's a dead end. But God chooses to lead his people this way. And God's people don't really know what's going on just yet. Because in verse 8 of chapter 14, we see that they're walking out boldly. They're like, we're big stuff. They don't know where God's leading them. They've never left Egypt. They've been slaves for 400 years. They don't know where they're going. Look at verse 20. 
Then they set out from Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. So they're right at the cusp. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on their way, and a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before his people. So we see God leading his people. He's leading them. He's paving the way for them. All right, let's get into chapter 14. Verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back. Huh? Turn around? Turn back and camp at Pi-ha-iroth between Megol and the sea. You will camp in front of Baal-zephon, opposite by the sea. So all, here they go. They go out, and then all of a sudden God's like, turn around. The word turn around in Hebrew means shuv. It means turn around take another way. And then camp. By the sea. Verse 3. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So God has got his people. They're going out. And then he turns them around. And then he puts them down in camp. And it makes it look, the word wonder is actually a word for confusion. They look confused. They're just kind of just wandering around out there. And God says, I'm doing this so I can use them as bait. My people are my, they're going to be bait. And I'm going to fish Pharaoh out to chase after them. Now, if Israel knew they were being used as bait, they probably wouldn't like that. But that's what God's doing. And he says, thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after them and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So if you're the kind of person that likes to mark in their Bible, underline, I will be honored through Pharaoh and circle the word no. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Verse five, when the king of Egypt was told that the people fled, Pharaoh and his servants had change of heart toward the people. And they said, what is this we've done? We just lost our help. Let's go after them. So he gets his chariot army ready in verses 6 and 7, and he goes out, and then verse 8, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of, of, the sons of Israel. The sons of Israel were going out boldly. And the word boldly in Hebrew is high-handed. And it has the idea of like this sinful arrogance. Like, I'm better than you. I'm big stuff. Um, but really, you're not. And so they're going out high-handed. They think they're big stuff. But they have no idea that God is leading them down a path that they really probably don't want to go. Down a path that leads to a dead end. And no options. For 400 years, the generations before them have been enslaved and beaten and oppressed. And then here, this generation just walks right on out with Israel's gold, if you read the story leading up to this. So they think they're pretty big stuff. They have no idea that they're bait. Verse 9. The Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and the horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Harath in front of Baal-Zephon. So here, now, in verse 10, 
this is where Israel finds out. This is where they find out that they just went down a path they did not want to go. And if they had a choice back in Egypt, they would have chosen that short way, the direct way, the quick way to their destination. We're going to the promised land. This sign says this way, we're going to go this way. Why would we go the way of the wilderness? If they had a choice, they would not have chosen this route. Verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became frightened. The sons of Israel cried out to God. And this is it's kind of what we do, right? Things go bad, we cry out to God. It's a perfect response. That's how we should act. But when God doesn't give us the answer right away, or the cure right away, or his timing is not our timing, we get a little frustrated, don't we? And we want him to do something now. And so verse 11 says that they said to Moses, is it because we're not, or is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt this way, bringing us out of Egypt? And there's the age-old question, why? Why, God? Why have you done this? Uh, Why have you brought us out here to die? And it's a perfectly okay question to ask in times of trial or suffering. Why? That's okay. We're asking it today. I think I clicked. Yeah, there it is. Why does God appear to lead so recklessly? But what's not okay is when we don't get the answer we want or the response we want to rebel. And that's what Israel does here in 11 and 12. Psalm 106 verse 7 says that they actually rebel here at the sea. Verse 12. Is this not the word that we spoke to you back in Egypt, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And I think some of us can relate to this. I mean, has there been a situation or a season in life where you look up one day and you think, what are you doing? Why have you brought me here? Why am I here? What are you doing right now, God? And so there's some anger there sometimes. With me, sometimes there's a lot of anger. Years ago, I was talking with this person, and I'm actually a really laid-back guy. I'm really cool. Like, I don't get upset. It's really hard to get under my skin. People have been saying stuff, staring at my leg, whatever, my whole life. I'm like, whatever. So it's really hard for me to kind of lose my cool, but there's been some instances in my life where I just went bonkers, like just off the wall. And I was talking with this person. I was like, I don't. I don't know why I do that, because for the most part, I don't go berserk, you know? And this person said, you know, the times that you went bonkers uh, is because you were really scared leading up to that. And I thought, that's right. Looking back on these times where I just kind of lost my cool, there's all these moments leading up where I just was terrified about something, and then I just lost it. The best way I can kind of picture it is, I don't know about you, have you ever seen like a kid run out in the road and the mom or dad like grabs them, like dislocates their arm, brings them back, and is like just scolding them and yelling at them? When I was younger, I used to think, what are you doing? The kid's all right. No car worth coming by. Everything's fine. Move on. You're crazy. And then I became a parent. And this last summer, we lost Eli on vacation. Um, Don't worry, we found him. But... (laughs) The day before, we walked around this corner, and Eli, he's playing hide-and-seek, so he goes behind the corner, and we're like, Eli, come on. He's like, okay. Well, this 
this day, we go around the corner, and Eli's playing hide-and-seek, and we're like, Eli, come on. And he doesn't come on. And we're just kind of like, and I'm a little bit ahead of Heidi, and Heidi's just like, Eli, come on. And then she walks back there and looks around the corner, and he's gone. And Heidi says, I don't see her. I just hear her yell. He's gone. And so I'm like, okay, this isn't good. So we split up, and we're in this, like, outdoor, indoor-type resort thingy. And I'm like, you go that way, I go this way. So we're going down these long hallways, and I'm asking every housekeeper, have you seen a three-year-old boy, blonde hair, running through here? And they're like, no. And these are just straight hallways. Like, you can see to the end, so you would see. It's not like he's darting in and out of things. And so every hallway, every housekeeper, no, no. And every no I heard, I got more and more terrified. And then I'm thinking, what if somebody opened the door, grabbed him, shut it, and then it has him? And I don't know, out of hundreds of rooms, where he's at. And I start flipping out. And I'm, like, shaking. I'm kind of getting mad right now talking about it. Or I don't know. And I'm like, I'm going to kick in every door in this resort, and I'm going to find him. I'm like, I'm getting mad. I'm about to halt smash something. And then, thankfully, Heidi found him. And I'd like to say I was, like, this really cool, laid-back dad when we got back to the room and made the most of a very teachable moment, but I was hot, and I was just spitting words at him. And Eli probably had no idea what I was saying, had no clue what words were coming out of my mouth, but I was mad because I had been so scared. And oftentimes, we get angry at God because oftentimes, following him, he leads us to a place or places that are scary. And when we get scared and we don't get the answers we want, we get angry, and we want answers, we want solutions, we want the problem fixed in our time. And then sometimes we rebel. You know, cancer is scary. A marriage that looks nothing like you thought it would when he got down on one knee and proposed to you is scary. Dealing with depression and these inner demons and Some days waking up feeling like you just don't have any life in you, that is scary. Losing a job and wondering how you're going to pay bills and take care of your family, that's scary. The sons of Israel are terrified. They believe not only are their three-year-old sons going to be kidnapped by the Egyptians, but they themselves are going to die right there on the shoreline. They are terrified. And again, Psalm 106 says that they rebelled right there. So Israel, what happened was they turned their eyes from God and looked at the Egyptians, and they became fearfully faithless. It says back in in verse 10 that they looked, it actually says they lifted their eyes, and when they saw Egypt marching after them, coming with their horses, speeding towards them, with their back to the sea, they flipped out. They went berserk. They got mad. And they cried out to God and didn't get the answer they wanted. And it says they rebelled in Psalms. But look at verse 13. Look how Moses helps Israel refocus. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear, stand by, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see again. And the way it's written is, it says stand by. It means fix yourself. Stop moving. Stay still. 
And it's either a purpose or a result in Hebrew. It doesn't matter. But either if it's a purpose, it means stop moving, stay still, so that for the purpose that you will see the salvation of God. Or it's saying slow down, stop, station yourself because you will miss seeing the salvation if you don't stop moving. If you don't stop trying to fix your families, fix your career, fix your reputation, if you don't just stop and look to God, you're going to miss him do something awesome. And before I read this next verse, I'm going to tell a little story, quick story. I do multiple youth Bible studies in the morning. And Friday mornings, I do a youth Bible study for the middle school. And I'm taking some middle school kids to, um, uh, to school Friday. And one of them, Zayden, he wanted a shout-out from the pulpit. So, Zayden, if you're here, there you go. <laughs> there he is. I told you I'd use you in a sermon. But the other was Jordy, and Jordy's in the back. And Jordy, we're just talking about Bible verses. What are our favorite Bible verses? And sharing them with friends and stuff like that. And she's like, one of my favorite Bible verses is Exodus 14.14. 14. And being the great pastor I am, I said, what in the world is Exodus 14.14? 14? And she read it to me. It says, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And I, I said, why is that your favorite Bible verse? And I don't know if you know, Jordy. She's got this sweet, soft voice. And she says, well, sometimes I get scared. And I don't know what to say, and I don't know what to do. And I go to this verse. That's faithfulness. When so many of us get scared, we become fearfully faithless. We start freaking out, trying to fix the problem, trying to gain some sense of control of the problem. And what we need to do is refocus back on who God is and what his word says and remain faithful. Now, I don't care if you're a middle schooler like Jordy or if you have a middle schooler or if you wish you were back in middle school. We all get scared. Uh, Times of trial come and in these times of desperation, sometimes we just end up doing all the wrong things. Or out of desperation, we end up just saying all the wrong things. And what God is telling us, what Moses tells his people is stop fearing, stop freaking out, be still, and know that I'm God. Psalm 46.10 is be still and know that I am God. It actually says stop fighting and know that I am God. Stop fighting and know I'm God. Faithfulness is not only following Jesus in the good times and the times when fear is absent. It's also following him in the midst of fear. Continuing in faithfulness as disciples of Jesus, people who put their faith in Jesus for eternal life and saying, I want my life to count. I want to be faithful means that there are times in the midst of fear that we have to continue to follow. So verse 15, I am so late. I blame myself for reading such a long passage. Verse 15, we're going we're gonna to go now. Um, so they're crying out, and, and God says, march. It actually says, go forth, but it says, march. Where are they going to march? You're going to march right into the enemy, or you're going to march into the sea. There's nowhere to go. But God says, don't worry, I'm here. I haven't brought you out here for nothing. I have a plan. That's verse 16. And he has Moses lift his staff to see parts. The wind's blowing. It's dry ground. They start moving through. They start marching. God's not done. Sometimes carelessness and recklessness on God's part really is a carefully crafted plan. And so... They're marching through, verse 17. 
As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army and through his chariots and horsemen. Then the, the magicians, the Egyptians, will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. Again, underline, I will be honored through Pharaoh. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh. There's a connection here between God honoring or revealing or glorifying himself and people knowing who he is. And I just want us all to know that even though God appears reckless at times, he has good reasons. God has good reasons. It's for his glory. Every time it says, I will be honored, in Hebrew is kavod. It's the word that we see all the time as glory or glorified. God's saying, I will be glorified through Pharaoh. I will be glorified. And when I'm glorified, then the Egyptians will know something. What will they know? They'll know who he is. He is Yahweh, Lord all caps. He is God. So, sometimes God appears reckless, but in the end, it's for his glory. Three times it says, I will be honored or glorified through Pharaoh. And so sometimes carelessness and recklessness on God's part is really a carefully crafted plan for his glory. There's another reason. Back in verse 17 of chapter 13, at the very beginning it says, Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near, even though it was the fast way, the direct way. Because he said the people might change their minds when they see war in return. What they didn't know about that short, direct interstate route was along the way were Egyptian forts or barracks. They would have had to have fought and clawed their way all the way to the promised land. And we saw from the text, they're not ready to fight anyone. They would have went into it and been like, we're out, we're going back. So sometimes God appears reckless in how he leads us. It's for his glory, but it's also for our good. He has our good in mind. So he leads us. Sometimes it seems reckless or careless, but it's for his good and for, or for his glory and our good. Verse 19. Well, let's see. Yeah, verse 19. God moves. It's one of the verses I like. He's been going before him, but what does he do? He moves and goes behind them. So he's been paving the way before them, and now God moves and starts protecting them from behind. God is not reckless in how he leads, and he is not careless in how he protects. He moves and paves the way before them, and then when he needs to, he carefully moves and protects his people. And so they cross through on dry ground. The Egyptians take up pursuit of them. Verse 24, it says, at the morning watch, that's 2 a.m. to dawn, God looks down. Verse 25, he caused their chariot wheels to swerve and he made them drive with difficulty. And look what they, they say. It says, let us flee from Israel for the Lord is fighting for his people, the Egyptians. The Egyptians knew who the Lord was. Verse 27, so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak. And on down to verse 30 and 31, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant. So here's the question, the 
kind of the key question we're asking, how do we follow Jesus when he's leading us where we don't want to go? Because it happens. If it hasn't happened, it will happen. If you want to be a disciple and you want to follow Jesus and say, I don't want it to be about my life, I want it to be about his life, it's going to happen. He's going to lead you sometimes some places where you don't want to go. The Bible answer is Hebrews 12 too. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we fix our eyes on Jesus. But the truth is, it's really hard to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus when cancer comes or when there, you lose your job, or when life gets messy, when the job gets stressful. It's really hard to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. But the key to following Jesus in those scary times is having the humility to refocus. You look back at verse 10, you see what happened was the Egyptians, not the Egyptians, the Israelites saw the Egyptians. They turned their focus off of God, who had just done amazing things through 10 plagues. And here they are having forgot that, and now they're freaking out about the Egyptians coming. But Moses helps them refocus on what's true and the fact that their God fights for them. So he says, hey, don't miss this truth. Don't miss what's about to happen. Stop moving. Stop fighting. Stop trying to manipulate. Stop trying to gain control of your life. Stop trying to Wiggle your way out, stop texting, stop calling, whatever it is you're trying to do to gain a sense of control, stop it so that you will not miss what God is about to do. Because what God is about to do here, people are going to talk about for the rest of time. It's so awesome. What God is about to do, people are going to debate for the rest of time because it's so awesome. Without seeing God split a sea in half and a whole nation go through, it's really hard to believe without seeing. And so he's telling his people, stop. Be still so you can refocus and see the awesome power of your God. And that verb, to see, shows up again in the last two verses. It says that they saw their enemy defeated, and they saw the great power of God. So I'm going to ask Stephen to come up as we uh, close out. So we follow Jesus when he's leading us where we don't want to go because we believe that he is going to do awesome things through us for his glory and for our good. That's why we follow him when it gets hard. That's why we follow him when we don't want to keep going because it's for his glory and it's for our good. And when that happens, we have to continually refocus back on Jesus, who, by the way, also followed God to a place he did not want to go, the cross. And it was there that he died for your sin, mine, and those of the world, paid for sin in full, three days later conquered death, and he gives eternal life to all who would believe in him. If you're here today and you have not put your faith or trust in Jesus, you can do that right now. Jesus doesn't ask us just to follow him in his life, but also in his sufferings. Philippians 1, 29 says, For to you it has been granted on Christ's sake that not only you believe, but you suffer. It's not one that you put on your kitchen wall. 1 Peter 2, 21, For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. We follow Jesus. 
even when he's leading us where we don't want to go. We fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So to help us do this, I've given you the white cards that everyone's been curious about. And on this index card, write whatever you need to write. It could be Hebrews 12.2, fix my eyes on Jesus. It could be Jordy's verse, 14.14, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. It could be just a truth from God's word. I am forgiven. I am loved. Whatever you need to hear throughout your day to help you refocus back on Jesus. And you don't even need to use the white card. If it's still sitting there out, it won't hurt my feeling. Get a sticky note at work. Put a sticky note on your monitor. So when work gets stressful and crazy, you'll see it. And you can refocus back on Jesus at work. Get a marker right on your mirror. My sister used to do that to me in high school. It'll help you refocus for the day. And if you have a bad day, you come home. You're going to see it. You're going to refocus for your family. You can even get a dry erase marker and write on your toilet. Do what you got to do to stay faithful. Do what you have to do to keep following him when it's hard. And it takes humility to sit down and say, I need help. I have to write something. It takes humility to say, I'm not powerful enough. I'm too weak. Jesus, help. Whatever you do, it takes humility to depend on Jesus. So when the day comes when we find that Jesus is leading us where we don't want to go, let's have the humility to refocus on our God who does awesome works through us for his glory and for our good.